Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. This episode is brought to you in association with Grey Orange, the intelligence behind retail's robotic workforce and your fast track to warehouse automation. To find out more about Grey Orange's robotic agnostic platform, visit greyorange.com. Hello, I'm Carl McKeever, and welcome to the latest in our In Focus series from the Retail Exchange podcast. I think there's been a lot of change in this space in the last five years. But we're not worried about trying to sell more. We're trying to figure out how to do that more efficiently. So when we're getting ready for Cyber Monday or Cyber Five, you know, you have to bring that, you have to deploy that labor weeks in advance to learn the systems to address the peaks. Whereas these new tools and systems are much better uh, uh, positioned to, to address those peaks. I really feel a lot of our motion is around like humans will be removed from the, the chain. It's definitely more robots in the entire value chain is, is almost a necessity. Are robots taking over the retail industry? From AI to robotic software as a service platforms and warehouses, technological innovations are having a dramatic effect on how retailers and brands do business. In this episode, we explore how demand to speed up last mile delivery is set to bring another round of dramatic change to our industry's landscape. Why forward-looking leaders are investing in intelligent automation and the challenges and opportunities presented by robotics. To discuss this with me, I'm delighted to welcome my two guests, John Toller, CEO of US retailer Plough & Hearth, and Same Kohli, CEO of Grey Orange. Here's the episode. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you for having us. So we're going to get right underway, first of all, with a, a little bit of an overview of both of your businesses. So John, if you could begin, please. What is Plough & Hearth and what do you do? Yeah, so maybe a, a point of clarification. Plow and Hearth is one of our direct-to-consumer retail brands, and Plow and Hearth is part of a larger company called Evergreen Enterprises. I'm CEO of Evergreen Enterprises. Um, and so Evergreen Enterprises has four components to it. We have a large wholesale distribution company that goes to market under the Evergreen Enterprises, um, do gift garden and home products. We do everything from the decorative flags you find in Walmart to uh, the garden accents you find in independent retailers. We have four direct-to-consumer brands um, that we go to market into, primarily uh, catalog. We do have a couple retail stores, but we're down to three of them. And those retail brands are Plow and Hearth, Wind and Weather, Viva Terra, and My Evergreen. We have a Canadian subsidiary that does wholesale distribution. And then we have uh, manufacturing in China, Ningbo, uh, based China, distribution centers and sourcing office. That's kind of the, the entire business. So about two thirds wholesale, about one third retail. And each of those businesses all sound very complementary to one another. Yes, yes. Um, and I know we'll get into the backstory here, but we were founded 30 years ago by our founder and started in the wholesale space and then went into the manufacturing uh, in China and then in 2011 did an acquisition from 1-800-Flowers to kind of breach the end consumer. So you could go from, call it factory floor, all the way to the end consumer. Similar question to yourself, Sammy. Just give us an overview, please, of Grey Orange. Sure. So I think we're on the other end of uh, John. We're essentially help retailers and brands right, run fulfillment operations. Right. So we introduce, we're bridging the gap uh, between, we call it the age of immediacy. Right. So we're trying to make sure that how do you adopt robots in fulfillment centers, retail stores, wherever down the stream, 
how do you help uh, brands and retailers adopt robots into their workflow? So, John, from our, our demands on fulfillment perspective, you know, how has that changed in Plow and Half in recent years? Uh, well, obviously COVID, being involved in home and home accent, uh, we saw huge demands on uh, just overall across all of our channels, wholesale and retail, really 2020 on. Uh, combine that with labor shortages and finding workers. Combine that with elevated rates in the warehouses, distribution centers, what we need to pay folks. So you had kind of those three trends, and then prior to that, uh, we're a preferred partner with Wayfair, uh, Zulily, QVC. Uh, we do drop shipping on behalf of many of our large retail clients. In all of those expectations, we're really, frankly, just keep elevating in terms of SLAs and those kinds of things. So this is this topic has been brewing within our you know, enterprise for a while now, and I think kind of we knew we needed to make an investment and then here comes COVID and the other challenges and it was kind of when we started to do the exploration in terms of uh, you know, automation in the warehouse. So multiple <laughs> demands and increasing expectations. Yeah, and I don't think it's going away. And then I think consumption of gift garden and home products is just going to continue to be more and more online. And I think the SLAs from the retailers, the end consumers are going to continue to stay pretty elevated quick turnaround times, those kinds of things. And of course, this whole topic of resource shortage is something which is across the whole retail piece, whether that's about brands trying to find people in store or workers to work in their fulfillment centers. Does, does that in any way for you help to make the decision or even the desire to explore increased automation in the business ever, ever more pressing? For sure. I mean, I think the workforce participation problem we have in the United States, um, you can go look at a lot of the data points. You know, I think we've recovered to a pre-pandemic level, but I think in terms of more labor coming into the workforce, we, we think that's going to be tough the, the near term. And so looking at something like Grey Orange, certainly, you know, that was part of the uh, uh, the process. Um, and what, what we can do with our facilities and our legacy, uh, Grey Orange has a, a big impact for sure. And presumably when you're having products with thousands and thousands of SKUs, often of varying sizes and compositions, this is where automation could actually really play a part in making it you know, a, a simpler mission to fulfill each of those individual orders. 100%. Same, what do you think the pandemic has done for retailers in terms of trying to maybe change their thinking around this model of working in an old way or embracing new technology? So I, I would touch uh, two themes, right? One, I would say just the concept of omni-channel, right? Like I think it was here 10 years ago or something, we started the buzzword around omni-channel, uh, omni right? But I think the pandemic really made it real, right? Like I think if you look at really 2020, the first March to kind of the first three months of lockdown where, you know, we started discovering the concept of pickup from store and uh, ship from store. And then, you know, like if you really look at the consumer behavior and retailers, uh, it a bought up, made omni-channel more real, if you may, right? Like it was kind of like it'll happen in the future. To this is what, what it's going to be. So I, I think I guess it moved from a, a discussion into yep. something which was an imperative to get get on with. And the other side of the problem it really did was it bought home the concept of you can't really duplicate inventory everywhere. You can't have per channel, you know ways, even within a distribution center, a lot of the retailers were still trying to, you know, piece this part by, like, this is what we do for e-com, we'll bake cases for that, for retail, we'll keep case full, and, you know, we'll do some wholesale, we'll just do pallets, and that whole concept kind of got tested, right, that doesn't work, right, it doesn't work for you to do that, so it brought home the concept of omni-channel fulfillment, and I think 
the post pandemic which is you know if there is a phase so as post pandemic right today it's got the other side of the challenge right like how do you you know as john said right i think the service levels that customers will demand or the types of service right next day same day to stay or even continue innovating further whereas very real at least for you know the next one or two years is your actual volume growth is not there and you need to improve the bottom line right so you've got top line growth right but that's inflation and all of that but you've got volume growth is similar to you know planhat is doing quite well but like you know like they're growing but how do you get bottom line growth where customer is con- going to continue to ask for different service levels that's sure. not going away you're going to lose the customer if you can't go and say hey you know times are tough and you know let's we'll give you 3 day shipping instead of next day right like you're going to lose customers for that so it's that balance i think, I think. that's one one of the interesting observations that's come out of the recent results from the holiday season for a number of brands is that their top line numbers have improved but when you start to dig into that actually what you can see is it's often on a steady volume of sales from their previous year but actually what's driving the the increase is actually just purely inflation yeah. so to your point you know if retailers are going to grow they're going to have to look at dual strategy how do we grow the top line with new organic sales but also how do we continue to make improvements in our efficiency that we can take cost out and drive up the productivity which will give us that double edged benefit from what we're trying to do i i suppose the other question that comes up to me now is is you're right the crisis of the pandemic is gone but you know covid is still there in some form and actually let's be clear if it's not covid it'll be something else that comes along and there'll be some other things which distract retailers in the future but now we're out of the immediacy of that eye of the storm in the conversations that you're having with brands has the kind of almost the crisis moment and the panic to do something now being replaced by perhaps a more strategic long term discussions about how we move from there to there and in a much more let's say measured controlled and effective way i i would say you know and i have to put a little bit grey orange context and more i guess from the industry john can also add right but i really think let's just get off with the fact that you know retail is very risk averse and it has to be right like if you i i popularly say that you know john could tell how it is in plan hot but i popularly say a warehouse manager usually will get fired if he misses a peak right but usually will not get promoted if he does well in a peak right because it's kind of like it's a very you know it's a job where you don't screw up right like if you if you if you do that right uh, it's not listening so i i really think from a robotics and automation point of view for retail fulfillment uh, we've really had automation more in you know like the movies i say 20 years ago but you know in real life more in the manufacturing floors that's where it's been in fulfillment centers retail it, there's not been a need for that to be there to be used and it's also because it's new i think the conversations we are having with brands now because we have you know we're just starting our journey with plan hot most of the brands we've had we are at their fourth distribution center fifth distribution center for some fortune 100 companies we're probably doing 50 60% of their throughput what that leads to is that okay this is reliable this is going to work right now how do we use it to get better you know improve the bottom line how do you give customers a better service level so once you are in that era we are absolutely having those conversations now and we are seeing brands actually double down right like if you look on a brand to brand basis same brand pre pandemic was probably spending a dollar a year in pandemic it probably went to like 2 dollars a year to we are right now at the 
the five or six dollars a year. So it's it's actually just increased in this because especially thanks to robots, you're not signing up for this channel, that channel. You're just basically signing up for a software-driven fulfillment. So you're saying, okay, like we can, we're not signing up for one channel. We have the flexibility. So this absolutely makes sense for the long term, no matter what the long term is going to be. But presumably, with also a fairly large capex investment to have to consider, you know, are we talking the rebuilding of DCs here to fulfill this, you know, new technology? We are not greenfielding uh, gray orange in a new facility. We're actually taking one of our legacy facilities. We did a lot of infrastructure work, electrical, um, floor work, and we're bringing it gray orange into a legacy facility, and it works great. Just echoing, John, I think the the concept when most retailers or even us think from the outside, we think robots, we think all of this stuff, it's like it's almost like infrastructure, building racks, building shelves, right? When you actually walk into a distribution center run with robots, it's, as John said, it's like, let's make sure the Wi-Fi runs right, the, the electricity is right, and you know, like, it's, it's that. Other than that, uh, the robots are pretty much coexisting with human beings. So this, is a, this is a technological remodel Yes, yes, yes. I mean, you could you could run a field right here yep. on the floor. Okay, but presumably that also makes those kind of decisions about moving down this path much easier because without having to, you know, as you say, greenfield new sites and yes. and, and build from the ground up. A, it's more economic to do that, but also there's less disruption to the business. Yes, and and it's portable, and it's scalable. You can bring in uh, additional robots as needed to meet peak needs. Okay. Those kinds of things, essentially. To really simplify it, I mean, they're reading QR codes on the on the ground, and if you have relatively flat space that can accommodate the racks that they pick up and move in the pick stations, this is a you know, pretty deployable product in our experience. So, John, when you are thinking about it from a, a Plan Half perspective, what were some of the key considerations that you went through with your team in terms of is this the right solution for us? Sure. So I think uh, from the Plum and Hearth perspective, we do we focus really on piece picking. We do lots of singles for our direct-to-consumer business uh, or for our fulfillment partners. And we currently do piece picking in two of our four owned distribution centers. And when we were doing this uh, due diligence and process a little over a year ago, we were still in the depths of supply chain, getting enough inventory, getting it unloaded, getting it the right, right. That was kind of all consuming, I think, for all brands and all retailers. We were trying to figure out kind of foundational pieces moving forward and getting piece picking in that warehouse piece right. And just to kind ahead. of be 100% be clear what you're referring to there, when you're talking about piece picking, this is a person going to individual bins and fulfilling a need and putting it in a basket or a box for delivery. Correct, and we, we did that two ways. I would call it version one or generation one, which was pushing a cart to a bin to select an item to put it into a box, right? And then we had another facility that had lots of conveyor in it which I would call version 2.0 or generation two, and you know, move the box to the picker versus the picker to the location. We were doing that in another facility, and I kind of view AM, gray, orange, AMR, robots, broadly, as kind of version 3.0, essentially picking up the rack and bringing it to the pick station. You bring it to the picker where we were going to see with, in the first case, uh, what the solution we believe can do um, with one pick station would take a, one worker an entire day. Right. It's kind of the pickups you see from that 
So highly labor intensive, yes. potentially uh, a degree of inaccuracy in terms of what got done. You know, when people are alert in the morning, perhaps they're you know, at their peak performance and as, as they do more work in the same day, they drop off. Yeah, and then I think the other thing is this, it, it scales quickly. It scales much better than, uh, let's call it individuals pushing carts. When we're getting ready for Cyber Monday or Cyber Five, you, know, you have to bring that, you have to deploy that labor weeks in advance to learn the systems to address the peaks, whereas these new tools and systems are much better uh, uh, positioned to, to address those peaks. Yeah, you're not having to put on another shift. Correct. This is about turning, turning up the dial. Correct, or temporary labor, which right. is very hard to get in source. Samir, when you're um, talking and sitting down with retailers, what, what do you give to them as advice? You know, when they're thinking about AMR, they must have plenty of questions and concerns. How do you help them kind of tick off some of those? I think sitting with John here, Planets is a really good example of the ideal way, right? Like we, I think our biggest advice to them is start small, don't over overcomplicate it, right? Like don't overdo it. I call it as both the strength of Grey Orange and the weakness, which is that Grey Orange has a lot of different type of robots. We're principally, we're a software platform that certifies and builds a lot of different type of robot. We have multiple customers which have probably five different kind of robots in the same facility by now, but don't start with five, right? Like don't like start with one, find a location. The, the change management part of it, like just get one facility going quickly. We can have a facility, you know, up in three months, four months, right? Like going with it. So start with the facility, get the integration done. Gain then, some experience, gain some confidence. Get some experience. I like saying, I would uh, tell John, he kind of was doing the version two, three. I think like it's, it becomes three and continuous, right? Like you don't need to go to a four because the three itself, right? Like you'll add some more robots, you'll change the configuration. So it's a living thing, right? Your fulfillment system will keep getting more optimized just based on software. Our sites, on an average, increase 10% uh, productivity year on year. But that's, you know, the continuous living part of it. So the, the advice really is that, right? Like, start small, right? Like, start with something. Pick an easy case so that you get the wins, the change management's good, and then scale it. You know, like, and you can scale it at whatever pace you want to do. So, so don't, don't be cautious in your ambition, but approach it in bite-sized chunks. Yep. Thinking about. AMRs, you know, how do you go about integrating this into the business? Surely there's going to be plenty of people which are resistors or there's going to be pockets of insecurity here. How do you get the organization to embrace it and say, you know, this is the future? Well, I would say from a management standpoint, senior managers across the organization who have lived through the challenges of COVID from a fulfillment labor, like they have watched this manifest itself. So the buy-in at the senior level, I think is, is you know, pretty easy because of recently what they've seen. Um, I think in terms of broadly robots going into warehouses, yes, that's a pretty challenging topic for most people, right? Yeah. Um, because of the implications in terms of fewer resources, less jobs. Complexity, what happens if it goes down? How do we, you know, uh, so, Lots of conversation. Uh, we probably started this journey, as I think I mentioned, over a year ago. Uh, lots of site visits, uh, lots of talking to those retailers who have implementations, and I think lots of conversation, and you can discuss maybe kind of a gray matter and what it does, that, yeah. that interface between kind of the WMS, ERP, those kinds of things, that was scary. Um, they've got a solution maybe 
um, they can talk, can talk about or in terms of like helps bridge some of that. But it was a, a long conversation in terms of the impact on the warehouses. We're standing up the field. We're getting ready to go live here in two weeks. Yeah, I think there's obviously you have some individuals trying to figure out what their new role is, mm -hmm. right? Uh, some of the temporaries we're already releasing. <laughs> And we started this process of either repurposing employees or not bringing back temporaries. And I think that's that's kind of where we are going to you know, move forward. There will be some impact so, on the people. So there is a transition and there is impact, but if you bring people with you and have good communications, you can minimize the impact to individuals. Yeah, currently we have the field, the gray-orange field being set up in the facility, and right next to it is the old way of piece picking and we're running that process side by side. And some of those people transition to new roles. They may be doing replenishment. They may be doing cart erecting. They may be doing, you know, working the pick station. That, that's probably what will end up happening. Today. Just add to that, I think John said it well, right? Like one, it does need planning. I think over-communication is a very, because I take the introduction of robots very similar to introduction of computers in the world, right? There is fear and there's all the stuff of like, you know, all the accounting jobs will go away and you know, like all, all that stuff. So there is definitely good communication plan is absolutely the, the paramount one. The other side of it though, and, and we're hoping Planhat has the same one as most of our other retailers have is, attrition goes down. Attrition drastically goes down because, you know, if you kind of think of it before, uh, with conveyors, without conveyors, you're, you're basically sending them to a gym, right? Like they're walking 13 miles uh, a day now they have a cubicle, right? Like they're at one location, you know, you can put up a picture, you've, you've, you're working with robots. So actually, uh, you know, employee satisfaction, attrition, that actually goes down because exactly the, the temporaries is where probably the labor impact comes. And I would say in today's world, nobody can fill all the open roles. So it's actually even less than reduction. It's like we don't need to hire that many more and lesser pain, but it's really satisfaction going up at these facilities, but you cannot, you know, like underpin the, the over-communication bit of it, doing that in, because that's that's probably key. And mission, mission critical to success. Yes, for sure. With, with recent advances in automation platforms, what do retailers and brands need to know? I guess, look, if you're embarking on this journey, you want to be fully aware of the facts and as, as informed as you can be. This is an industry which is fast moving, it's relatively new, and um, there's a lot of advances. So if I was embarking on this journey now, how do I kind of almost get the best? What do I need to know? Sure. I mean, I would say first one, I'm, it's not supposed to be a plug, but I think being hardware agnostic is very important because the number of robots that are getting introduced and will get introduced is going to just increase. And, you know, just with, as you said, it's a new industry. Uh, the best robots today or, you know, tomorrow will get replaced with even better ones three years later. So, you know, you had asked earlier about being high capex. Uh, we are a RAS first company. We are a robot as a service company. So we want to take that risk out from a brand because we keep upgrading the robots for them, right? So so being hardware agnostic, I feel is very important. The second one, I really think, uh, you know, you've got this whole thing of slow is one side, but I would just say that your first application just has to be real world. So it, yes, you know, like on the other spectrum, you've got Amazon, which is really pushing the cost up on labor cost because they've got like almost close to a million robots. And I think the rest of the entire retailers in, in North America, Canada and US are like 10,000 total or maybe 20,000, right? So on one end, it's, it's important that you do the first one, but you do the first one which is meaningful enough to get 
get the learning so that you can start scaling it up. So, so you know, like we've we pretty much ourselves stay away from it, but staying away from you know pilots, put three robots in that corner, let's try it out. That's not going to scale. And frankly, I really think retailers that don't use robots are not going to be there for very long. So it's it's important to get on that train quickly so that you can scale. So I think those would be my two advices being looking at it hardware agnostic and looking at the second thing of do something sizable first off so that you can get the learnings and scale it whichever way. And of course this conversation is very much centered inside the fulfillment centers and and the DCs. To, To what extent do you kind of almost have a crystal ball and think when we talk about autonomous vehicles and driverless trucks and drones in the sky, you know, is is this where we will be in the next 20 years? I'll let go, John. You know, I'm going to defer to you. <laughs> <laughs> sure. No, I, I I do think, right, like, I think, I, let me touch one different topic and then come to this. I really feel a lot of our motion is around, like, humans will be removed from the, the chain. I would say me and Cray Orange, we, we don't believe it's that, right, the case, right? There is coexistence, right? Even in the autonomous cars, everybody is like, oh, you know, like, we'll just make sure everything's going to be end-to-end, no no touching. I, I really believe, like, even as, you know, I mean, we're reading it in the news, as autonomous trucks also become real, they're going to be, you know, point-to-point. You'll still need loading, you'll need setting it up. So it's definitely more robots in the entire value chain is is almost a necessity, I feel. But, but there'll just be different kinds of jobs in the future. Yes, it'll be different. They'll be complementary, just like computers. There'll be like, we'll need people, we'll be robot operators, there'll be this. So yeah, it's going to be complementary in nature. But exactly as John said, right, like the labor force, I would say, is, has not even come in supply chain, has not even come back to pre, pre-pandemic levels, right? Like, right. I mean, we're still short labor in that and forget about it increasing. So in some sense, robots are going to be in that entire chain and uh, it's going to be complementary in nature it's not going to be like oh my god lights out and you know like you magically order something online or in a store and it just shows up there yeah. with john, john to what extent do i need to be concerned that you may be dropping boxes from the sky anytime soon i don't think we'll be doing that i i think um we've had a lot of interest in improving our warehouse operations for all the reasons we kind of touched on we're doing other things like um, uh, technology or tools that stuff it, unstuff it, basically helping unloading containers very quickly in an efficient manner. That was a big problem. So we've invested in those technologies. I think there's been a lot of change in this space in the last five years. Um, so for to, you, this is very much still about the improvement of the core logistics f- yes, function almost. Yes, yes. And we, we move millions of boxes, right? And there's all kinds of costs associated yeah. with that. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, we're, not, we're not worried about trying to sell more. We're trying to figure out how to do that more efficiently, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and get, get things to where they need right, to be. quickly. The only thing I would add is, I think, as John's touching, right? Like, I think one other concept is that the warehouse of the fulfillment center, and I don't know if this is a pandemic effect, but I definitely think today is not centered around, you know, like within the four walls, right? Like most people are making business cases across lines, right? If you kind of think before, people would make fulfillments a different cost center in a different line and retail stores and that side is a different one. Most of the retailers that we are seeing are saying, okay, I can even increase my cost within a fulfillment center by half a, you know, half a cent, half a dollar, right? It might save me four in the delivery van being more efficient or might save me. So 
I think that four wall, that's another behavior that's completely changed. Because I remember we passed one business case five years ago and it was like an amazing business case. It would have been within a year. But they're like, no, no, no. But that's all the savings are actually coming in the retail side of the business. And we can't merge that. So it's also the concept of the, the fulfillment center is no longer the four wall. It's it's look more holistic. I don't know, John, how it's in. No, I agree with that. I also agree kind of transportation overall. Yep. In, inbound ocean, drayage, demerge. Uh, small parcel, LTL, the male hybrid products. Those have been huge areas of focus because during the pandemic, you know, they just all ballooned. And John, to what extent do you think that, and have you measured this, that the improvements that you're making are having a positive impact in terms of customer experience? I think, well, remember, we're not exactly live with Grey Orange yet, sure. so I've not seen that. But if that comes to fruition like we think it will, the service level agreements, you know, we'll have retail customers giving us orders and they'll be fulfilled within 24 hours or, or soon or, soon. or sooner. And the same with our wholesale customers. And, that, and that's a huge advantage so speed, for us. Speed, efficiency, accuracy. Speed, accuracy, right, all of it. Right. And, and Summit, is there a solution for apparel? Yeah, I'm, I'm almost thinking somebody set you up to ask me that question because <laughs> about 50% of our business is actually apparel. Okay, right? good. So apparel is, is huge, right? You've got- So where are the differences? Oh, I, I mean, I, I, maybe it's my band. I, we don't see a major difference, so that's maybe my. I, I would, I would agree. One of the site visits we did was a large apparel uh, company that you would know, and the application of gray orange technology is very similar. Maybe it was on a rack, maybe yep, it was on. A, but exactly. for the the way the the mobile stocking units, the MS, MSUs work. They can configure to service many classes of product. Right. And one name I can say, I mean, since that's in the public, I mean, we work with probably the top five of the ten apparel players. But one which is in the public space is H&M. H&M's come out and said publicly about their partnership. It's exactly as John saying. The it's not that different. It's actually the whole idea is. It's I think the business case becomes even better. Right. That's there because your number of SKUs are are higher. The optionality, the season change, all of that is key in it, but it's not, you know, it's not different for, at the core of it. I think business cases would, would differ as to how many more pieces do you need to touch, how easy uh, it is. And frankly, the omni-channel business case for apparel is even more because, you know, like you've got the whole flip between, do you do same as Plan Hut, how do you do fulfill uh, the stores as per layout, how do you do this thing in, so apparel's a huge, yeah, I think uh, the distribution center we saw was doing fulfillment for stores as well as singles Absolutely. out the door and with doing a really good job on the reverse piece also, piece. processing the returns. So same question to both of you here and it's kind of one of my, my closing ones to you. But um, John, what keeps you awake at night? Presumably at this time, it's about the implementation of Grey Orange. I'm actually feeling pretty good about that. We've been, Can we get that on record? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, no, they, they've got something called a hypercare team that's going to be deployed pretty quickly. We're long enough, far enough into this. The bots are already moving in the facility. So, uh, you know, we know there's going to be challenges. We'll work through those. I, I'm still concerned about really the demand side for all of our channels and all of our businesses. And I think that's more what's keeping me up. Uh, you know, we started to see the slowdown across all the channels in March, April, May, June. It's kind of what is the outlook for the demand side and retail. That that's yeah. keeps you up more though, more so than the technology in the warehouses right now. Right. Well, that's that's in a sense a good way to be with where you are at with the project. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Same for you. What what keeps you awake at night? No, I think uh, I would firstly say thanks, John, for that. I think a lot of people try to work hard to make sure, especially for the first site, 
for a brand to not uh, go through that because there's enough stuff to give pain. I think for us, uh, you know, without being incentive or John saying, but it's it's almost the opposite of like keeping up with demand. Like I think, uh, especially with you know, like the focus to I call it as do more with less. So automation's up there. You know, like we are having clients sign up their third expansion within 12 months. Like so, they first time ordered, second, you know, they haven't even gone live with the first one and they've added more. So I think the business is growing, which is obviously a good thing. But I think uh, the experience that John's having, that is a tough one to keep up because, you know, like we only work with big brands. So, you know, like I think making sure Grand can keep up with the demand while still being what I call it as we'll still have you know supply chain we'll have issues but how does gray orange continue to care because as as i said before like we're critical right like we we were a critical part of their their promise to their customers uh, if anything keeps me up that's that's probably what uh, what keeps me up uh, gentlemen, I've learned so much today in terms of the industry in which you work in. This is a guy who can't even yet decide whether to go for a robotic vacuum cleaner. <laughs> so, so, you know, you have to put this in perspective. Uh, a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks to my guest today on the Retail Exchange podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This episode was brought to you in association with Grey Orange, the intelligence behind retail's robotic workforce and your fast track to warehouse automation. To find out more about Grey Orange's robotic agnostic platform, visit greyorange.com. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange podcast. Subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate hashtag retail exchange. Thanks for listening.